Well, perhaps you have already opened up your gifts, or maybe you're waiting until after this service and after a little lunch to do so. But I want you to think of your Christmas tree this morning. Imagine the most wonderful present possible underneath it. What would it be? I don't want you to think of any temporal material item that you've been thinking about, wanting. I want you to think of something much more significant, something that would span your lifetime, something that would fill your life to the full, something that would give you security, blessing, meaning in life, peace forever, something that would guarantee abundant living for eternity. Of course, you know what I'm getting at. It's not a thing, but a person, Jesus Christ. His coming to this earth is the greatest gift that we could ever imagine. But when we think of his coming to this earth as the greatest gift, we can't just think about his incarnation. Yes, the second person of the Trinity, God himself, took on human flesh and a human nature without sin. But we also must think of why he came and what he came to do. You see, if God's son just became a man, as wonderful and as miraculous as that would be, it wouldn't be such a gift for us. It's what he came to do that makes him a great gift for us. We've been in this eight-part Advent sermon series on Jesus' I am statements in the Gospel of John, and we've called it the gift of the great I am. And we've been examining these statements as to how Jesus is the greatest gift to us. Jesus said in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. And I made the point that that is the greatest of the I am statements because there he is claiming to be God, the same term that God used to describe himself in Exodus chapter 3, claiming that he was the everlasting one. And it's because he is the great I am that all these other I am statements in John are valid and exclusive. We've studied statements such as, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And then last night, I am the light of the world. And today we're looking briefly at the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. Next week we'll conclude this series with I am the vine. Now what is the context of when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life? Well, the context is Jesus' greatest miracle besides his own resurrection from the dead, and that is raising Lazarus from the dead. The setting is two sisters, Mary and Martha, who lived in Bethany with their brother Lazarus. Jesus was good friends with this family. They were devoted followers of his. They lived in Bethany and Jesus and his disciples spent quite a bit of time with this family, staying in their home when they came to Jerusalem since it was only two miles away. But in this situation in John chapter 11, Jesus is with his disciples 
somewhere else. And he gets message from the sisters that Lazarus was gravely ill. And when he hears this, Jesus says that this illness will not lead to death. And it was so that God would be glorified and the Son of God would be glorified through it. And instead of leaving right away to go and be with this family, Jesus stayed for two more days where he was. And after that, he decided to leave. And then he said to his disciples that Lazarus had fallen asleep and I'm going to wake him up. Well, the disciples thought that he was referring to normal sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly that he meant Lazarus had died. He told them that for their sake, he was glad that he was not there so that they may believe. When Jesus arrived, Martha heard that he was coming and she went to meet him. And she said to Jesus, if only you had been there, Lord, when my brother was ill, he would not have died. But even now, she said, I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give to you. Jesus then said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha replied, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And it's then we come to our text in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Thus far the reading of God's word. Well, following this encounter with Martha, Mary then came to meet Jesus. And she said the same thing that Martha said. If only you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. Well, Jesus was deeply moved by her grief and asked her where Lazarus was placed. And then when they got to the tomb, he wept along with all the other mourners. And when he arrived, which was at a cave with a stone rolled in front of it, he told them to roll away the stone. And Martha told him the smell would be bad because his body had been in the tomb decomposing for four days. But then Jesus cried out, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in cloth. It was an amazing miracle that supported his declaration to Martha that he was the resurrection and the life. What Jesus said is the most amazing gift there is. And I want to unwrap this gift for you just for a few moments. After Jesus said to Martha that her brother would rise again, you remember she replied that she knew that he would rise again on the last day, meaning she believed in the Old Testament teaching about the final resurrection of the dead. But Jesus is telling her, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I am the resurrection and the life. He's claiming divine authority to give life, to raise people from the dead. He is the divine author of the resurrection. He's the cause of it. He's the source of life. 
Jesus is talking about two kinds of resurrection and life in this passage, spiritual and physical. He says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So there he's talking about physical life that dies, but then he's talking about spiritual life that continues on after physical death. When he says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die, he's referring to spiritual life that begins with belief and will live on after the physical body dies. So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's saying he's the source of spiritual and physical resurrection and life. We will all die physically unless the Lord comes back before that time. Physical death is a result of the fall. It's the curse for our sin. And we've inherited this because of the first man, Adam. He fell, and now we inherit the sinful nature. But not only do we die because of the curse, but we inherit spiritual death as well. Meaning, when we are born into this world, we're alienated from God. We don't have fellowship with Him. We are separated from God. We're unable to have a relationship with God because God is holy and He cannot have fellowship with unrighteousness and with sinful people. He is totally righteous. He demands perfect righteousness according to His commandments. He demands that we obey all His commandments out of a pure love for God and for our neighbor. And of course, we fall short of this all the time. God is also perfectly just. He must judge all sin in hell. We violate his commandments and these sin debts pile up in our lives and we cannot wipe them away. We cannot pay our debt. We cannot atone for our sin. We deserve God's punishment for them. And so when Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life, he's saying he is God in the flesh who has come to remedy man's greatest problem, sin and death. Sin is why we die physically and sin is why we are spiritually dead apart from the grace of God. So we need resurrection. We need new spiritual life. Jesus God the Son came to this earth and took on a human body and a human nature without sin and remained God in order to provide this for us. He came to reverse the curse by becoming our substitute. What does that mean? Well, he came to provide us with perfect human righteousness. He lived a perfect life pleasing God the Father at every moment of his life in all of his thoughts, all of his actions, and all of his words so that his perfect record of righteousness would be transferred to his people, those who believe in him. He also came to go to the cross as our substitute sacrifice to atone for our sins. Our record of sin, all the sins of his people, were laid upon him 
on the cross and he experienced the judgment and the wrath of hell in our place. He experienced this through his suffering and his bleeding and then his death. And then on the third day, he overcame the power of death and sin and the devil by rising himself from the dead. And all believers are united with Christ or were united with Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. And so it's as if we did all of these things. And so because of this, believers are declared righteous and acceptable before God. They're forgiven of all their sins. They're united to the Godhead in eternal fellowship and life, and they're adopted as sons and daughters of God, given the gift of heaven. You see, for Jesus to be the resurrection and the life, he had to rise himself from the dead. He conquered sin and death when he rose. And because of his resurrection, his people will experience spiritual resurrection. They'll be born again when the Spirit comes and regenerates them and gives them faith and repentance. Jesus' empty grave is a guarantee of our resurrection and life. The resurrection of Lazarus was an example of this. He called forth a man who had been dead for four days. He waited four days because that's the time when everybody realized this really took place and the mourners would go home. Jesus came to show that he had power over death, the power to give life again. And that's what he does when he causes us to be born again. This is what Paul explained in Ephesians chapter 2 when he said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That is, he resurrected. We're treated as sons and daughters of God after this resurrection. We're raised to an indestructible life. We have new spiritual life and fellowship with God that will go on forever. And because of his physical human resurrection, he's the firstborn of a new race of people. We are also promised a physical resurrection of our own bodies after we die, when Christ returns. When believers die, their souls go immediately to Jesus in heaven. But when Christ returns, our dead bodies are resurrected, are reconstituted into perfect, immortal human bodies. And they're reunited to our souls, and we will live on a new earth as human beings with Jesus forever. Here's the point. We desperately need what Jesus says he is and has done for us here. He is the resurrection. He is the life. He is the only way. And so when you look at your Christmas tree today and perhaps some of the presents that are still underneath it, think of the tree that Jesus died upon to give you the greatest present there ever was and ever will be. But he didn't stay on that tree. He rose from the dead. He conquered death so that those who believe in him would have resurrected spiritual lives and would look forward to resurrected 
physical bodies when Christ returns. I remember when I was a boy, one Christmas my grandma was visiting and she gave me a peculiar gift for Christmas. It was an envelope with a savings bond in it. I don't know if they still have savings bonds or not, but you would get this certificate and it would say it would be worth $100 in 10 years. But presently, it was hardly worth anything. So I tried to act excited, but it wasn't very exciting. And you know what? I put it away somewhere and I never found it again. But Jesus, as the resurrection and the life, is not just this promise for the future someday. It's a gift for right now, in this life, as well as in the future. And how do we receive this gift? It's through belief, through faith in Christ. Jesus uses this word, belief, three times in our text. Whoever believes in me, who lives and believes in me, do you believe this? Martha said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Belief means resting upon, believing into, believing upon Christ, resting your confidence, your trust in the Lord. You see, this isn't just a nice teaching to think about on Christmas Day. This is life-changing. It matters because there is spiritual darkness and physical death without Christ. We reap the end result of eternal death in hell forever without him. Can there be a greater reason to believe on Jesus than his claim to hold the key to the problem of sin and death? Jesus speaks about a better life, an abundant life, a spiritual life in which if you live it, you will never die. As we walk through difficult times, sorrow, grief, the valley of the shadow of death in this life, Jesus is our resurrection. Jesus is our life. This greatest of all presents is presented to you today. Living and believing in Christ is true life, and it means we will never spiritually die. Not believing in him is like leaving the greatest gift unopened under the tree. So I ask you, have you opened this gift by believing in him as your Savior and Lord? After Jesus' resurrection, which occurred on a Sunday, the first day of the week, the church, as you know, began worshiping on the first day of the week. Now, I don't know if you've been looking at social media a whole lot the last couple weeks leading up into Christmas, but a lot of people have been talking about churches that have canceled their services today. Some have canceled because, well, they had Christmas Eve services and they feel like, well, that's enough, and they want people to be able to have family time and not interfere with their family time by having a worship service on Christmas Day. But I contend It's Sunday. We should always have worship on the Lord's Day. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here 
Very thankful for the good crowd we had here this morning. Furthermore, though, when Christmas falls on a Sunday, it's a unique opportunity to not just think about the gift of Jesus as we are exchanging gifts with one another, but to think about his whole life and his resurrection. That's why the church meets on Sunday. We're commemorating, we're remembering his resurrection and that he is alive. Well, that's what we're doing today. We're looking at the whole picture, the whole life of Christ. He didn't just come to become incarnate. He came to live for us, to die for us, to rise from the dead for us, to ascend to heaven for us. And that's why we can have resurrection and life in him. Jesus is alive and he's in heaven and he's speaking through his word right now when you hear him say, I am the resurrection and the life. He's saying, you need me as your resurrection and life. Will you possess life forever in heaven? You cannot have resurrection. You cannot have life without me. If you believe in me, you will never spiritually die when your body dies. And you'll be with me in heaven. And when I return to this earth, your body will rise again and you will be wholly human in heaven forever. It's a promise. And he's asking us through his word right now, just as he asked Martha, do you believe this? That is the most important question of your life. Don't get distracted and ignore the greatest of all gifts today. And I pray if there are any here who have not yet trusted in Christ as their their Savior and Lord, as their resurrection and life and salvation, that God would, by His grace, even today, cause a spiritual resurrection in your heart so that you would turn from living for yourself and sin and rely on Jesus alone for your salvation. And if you're a believer here this morning, this day is a time to remember and to worship and rejoice in the greatest gift that you have received already. It's a gift that keeps giving to eternity. It's a gift that you are to enjoy now. Enjoy living this new resurrected life in fellowship with the Lord. Enjoy Him. Revel in Him. Seek to rely upon His resurrection power and life in you. Preach these truths to your heart for these truths are the purpose of or the reason for your hope and your joy and your comfort and your peace. Rely on His life in you. Live according to the strength and power of his resurrection power in you. And how do we grow in our faith in this resurrection power in life? Well, we spend time in his word. Let's make a new resolution for the coming year that we be people of his word and spend time in his word every day. That we be people of prayer, both individually and corporately. That we participate in the sacraments as we worship and serve alongside of God's people in the local church. A resurrected life is a life in union with Jesus Christ that seeks to put sin to death and obey 
the Lord's commandments in the power of his spirit. And it's a life that's also dedicated to telling others about the greatest of all gifts. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. Oh Lord, thank you for this precious gift, eternal life with you forever. Thank you for the promise of physical resurrection someday and how we will be perfect immortal human beings on a new earth forever and ever with you and each other. Oh Lord, thank you for this indescribable gift. Help us to be enthusiastic about serving you and proclaiming this gift to the world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.